0: Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather, and today we are going to continue our wrap-up of the book Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. In particular, I've got a few more tidbits to share about the final chapter, Alice's Evidence. But first, I want to tell you about the Nursery Alice. The Nursery Alice was published in 1890, A full 25 years after the original publication of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. As you might guess, it is a version of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland for very small children. But it's not just an abridged version of the book. It's a complete rewriting by Lewis Carroll himself. Why did he take it upon himself to do this so long after the original book came out? I'm going to let him tell you himself. The following is an excerpt from the preface to The Nursery, Alice preface addressed to any mother i have reason to believe that alice's adventures in wonderland has been read by some hundreds of english children aged from five to fifteen also by children aged from fifteen to twenty-five yet again by children aged from twenty-five to thirty-five and even by children for there are such children in whom no waning of health and strength no weariness of the solemn mockery and the gaudy glitter and the hopeless misery of life, has availed to parch the pure fountain of joy that wells up in all childlike hearts. Children of a certain age, whose tale of years must be left untold and buried in respectful silence. And my ambition now is, is it a vain one, to be read by children aged from not to five. To be read? Nay, not so. Say, rather, to be thumbled, to be cooed over, to be dog's-eared, to be rumpled, to be kissed by the illiterate, ungrammatical, dimpled darlings that fill your nursery with merry uproar and your inmost heart of hearts with a restful gladness. End quote. Aged from not to five. I just love that. Now, Lewis Carroll was 58 years old at this point, so I wonder if maybe he was thinking about his own mortality and wanting to leave even more of a legacy for himself. In Victorian times, I imagine you got to thinking about your own mortality uh, kind of earlier than nowadays, what with all the pestilence and disease and lack of penicillin. There's one more paragraph in the preface. I'm going to read it to you um, I, of course, think that Lewis Carroll's words and works translate very well to modern times. For the most part, I do not include this last paragraph of the preface to the Nursery Alice in that category. It just could not be more Victorian. It says, Such, for instance, as a child I once knew who, having been carefully instructed that one of any earthly thing was enough for any little girl, and that to ask for two buns two oranges, two of anything, would certainly bring upon her the awful charge of being greedy, was one morning sitting up in bed solemnly regarding her two little naked feet and murmuring to herself softly and penitently, Dee End quote. <laughs> so that last word was Dee D-E-E-D-Y, which I guess is slang for indeed? I'm not sure. I'm also not sure why he throws a rhyme in there all of a sudden. It's not, you know, printed out like a poem. However, I am sure that dating the preface Eastertide 1890 is adorable. As I already mentioned, The Nursery Alice was a complete rewrite. If you go back all the way to chapter one of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Down the Rabbit Hole, at one point while Alice is falling, she tries to curtsy. And Lewis Carroll wrote, fancy curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you could manage it? That passage has always jumped out at me because I believe it's the only time in the entire story that Lewis Carroll addresses us, the reader, directly. Now, the nursery Alice constantly addresses the reader directly, or rather, addresses the listener directly. He wrote it for children not to five, but children from not to five generally can't read yet. So it's written as though it's being read out loud to a small child. I'm going to read the first page to you just so you get a feel for what I'm talking about. Chapter one, the white rabbit. Once upon a time, there was a little girl called Alice, and she had a very curious dream. Would you like to hear what it was that she dreamed about? Well, this was the first thing that happened. A white rabbit came running by in a great hurry, and just as it passed Alice, it stopped and took its watch out of its pocket. Wasn't that a funny thing? Did you ever see a rabbit that had a watch and a pocket to put it in? Of course, when a rabbit has a watch, it must have a pocket to put in. It would never do to carry it about in its mouth, and it wants its hands sometimes to run about with. Hasn't it got pretty pink eyes? I think all white rabbits have pink eyes, and pink ears, and a nice brown coat, and you can just see its red pocket handkerchief peeping out of its coat pocket. And what with its blue necktie and its yellow waistcoat, it really is very nicely dressed. Oh dear, oh dear, said the rabbit, I shall be too late. What would it be late for, I wonder? Well, you see, it had to go and visit the duchess. You'll see a picture of the duchess soon, sitting in her kitchen. And the duchess was a very cross old lady, and the rabbit knew she'd be very angry indeed if he kept her waiting. So the poor thing was as frightened as frightened could be. Don't you see how he's trembling? Just shake the book a little from side to side, and you'll soon see him tremble, because he thought the duchess would have his head cut off for a punishment. That was what the Queen of Hearts used to do when she was angry with people. You'll see a picture of her soon. At least she used to order their heads be cut off, and she always thought it was done, though they never really did it. And so when the white rabbit ran away, Alice wanted to see what would happen to it, so she ran after it, and she ran and she ran, till she tumbled right down the rabbit hole. And then she had a very long fall indeed, down and down and down, till she began to wonder if she was going right through the world so as to come out on the other side. It was just like a very deep well, only there was no water in it. If anybody really had such a fall as that, it would kill them, most likely. But you know, it doesn't hurt a bit to fall in a dream, because all the time you think you're falling, you really are lying somewhere, safe and sound, and fast asleep. However, this terrible fall came to an end at last, and down came Alice on a heap of sticks and dry leaves. But she wasn't a bit hurt, and up she jumped, and ran after the rabbit again. And so that was the beginning of Alice's curious dream. And next time you see a white rabbit, try and fancy you're going to have a curious dream. Just like dear little Alice. Okay, number one. Spoiler alert. Once upon a time, there was a little girl called Alice, and she had a very curious dream. Hello, Lewis Carroll. Totally giving away the surprise ending. Nice going, Elsie. Number two, you probably noticed that I said chapter one, the white rabbit, which is a different title than the original book. Chapter one was down the rabbit hole. In the Nursery Alice, the chapters are almost all titled differently. There are 14 chapters instead of 12, and the chapters are very short. In fact, I just read you the entire first chapter. Some of the other new chapter names are How Alice Grew Tall, Bill the Lizard, always nice to see Bill getting a little love, The Dear Little Puppy, The Pig Baby, and The Shower of Cards. Aesthetically, the book uses 20 of the original John Tenniel illustrations, and for the first time, I believe, they are colored in. You heard Lewis Carroll gave a lovely description of the White Rabbit's clothing colors. Disney fans take note, in this first color version of Alice in Wonderland, Alice's dress is yellow. Yellow with a white apron with blue trim and solid blue tights. Now, that illustration and some of the others are changed just a little bit from the originals, such as the famous illustration of Alice holding the Drink Me bottle. She's now got a huge bow in her hair, which is kind of weird and was not the case in the original. The cover is different as well. It's got a lovely illustration of Alice lying in the grass, dreaming of all her Wonderland friends. The cover is by a woman named Emily Gertrude Thompson, And Lewis Carroll saw some greeting cards illustrated by her at some point and actually contacted the publisher and tracked her down. That's how much he liked her work. The nursery Alice used to drive me a little batty with the non-stop asides to the reader, but I must say it's grown on me over the years. I find it pretty darn charming now. How cute was that when he told us to shake the book from side to side to make the rabbit tremble? And how can you not like an aside like this one from the caucus race chapter? And so they didn't know how in the world they were to get dry again. But the dodo, who was a very wise bird, told them the right way was to have a caucus race. And what do you think that was? You don't know? Well, you are an ignorant child. Now be very attentive, and I'll soon cure you of your ignorance. So Lewis Carroll didn't exactly dumb things down for the not-to-five set. Writing a separate version for Little Chillins was such a lovely idea, but unfortunately for Lewis Carroll, the nursery Alice didn't work out for him financially. He ended up having to reduce the price in order to move the merchandise. In his own words, I take this opportunity of announcing that the nursery Alice, hitherto priced at four shillings net, is now to be had on the same terms as the ordinary shilling picture books, although I feel sure that it is, in every quality, except the text itself, in which I am not qualified to pronounce, greatly superior to them. Four shillings was a perfectly reasonable price to charge, considering the very heavy initial outlay I had incurred. Still, as the public have practically said, we will not give more than a shilling for a picture book, however artistically got up, I am content to reckon my outlay on the book as so much dead loss, and rather than let the little ones, for whom it was written, go without it, I'm selling it at a price which, to me, is much the same as giving it away. That was an excerpt from a preface to a later edition of Through the Looking Glass. It's dated Christmas, 1896. I feel like everything from Lewis Carroll is dated Christmas or Easter or Eastertide. Christmas 1896 is only about a year before Lewis Carroll died. We'll assume he didn't know that. If you haven't noticed, I've been trying to read you lots of Lewis Carroll in his own words so that you can form your own opinions about what type of man he was and what his personality was like. There are a plethora of books that attempt to school the reader in no uncertain terms what Lewis Carroll was like. Needless to say, many of those books which offer irrefutable proof completely disagree with each other. So, as my time machine has been in the shop for quite some time, and I was not actually present in Christchurch in the 1800s, I think letting the man speak for himself whenever possible is the way to go. Having said all that, uh, regarding remaining neutral and forming one's opinion, I think we can all agree that in that excerpt I just read, Lewis Carroll sounds like a major cranky pants. Of course, I'd be cranky too if I just paid to have a super cute kiddies version of my awesome book published and no one bought it. If you're wondering why one of the most successful authors of his day had to bankroll his own book, I am wondering that as well. It makes some sense that he would have to pony up for the original Alice's Adventures in Wonderland since he wasn't established yet, but by the time The Nursery Alice rolled around, he had two major bestsellers. I obviously need to do more research on the publishing industry in those wacky Victorian times. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to bring up The Nursery Alice today is... Remember last week when I was talking about the illustration from the last chapter of Alice knocking over the jury box, I said I always enjoyed trying to pick out all the different creatures to see who appeared earlier in the book. I forgot in the nursery Alice, Lewis Carroll pretty much does the same thing, and it sounds like I was right about a few of the creatures and totally off base with some of the others. Here's who he says is in the jury box. And then what do you think happened? Why, her skirt caught against the jury box and tipped it over, and all the poor little jurors came tumbling out of it. Let's try if we can make out all the twelve. You know there ought to be twelve to make up a jury. I can see the frog, and the dormouse, and the rat, and the ferret, and the hedgehog, and the lizard, and the bantam cock, and the mole, and the duck, and the squirrel, and a screaming bird with a long beak just behind the mole. But that only makes eleven. We must find one more creature. Oh, do you see a little white head coming out behind the mole? And just under the duck's beak? That makes up the twelve. Mr. Tenniel says the screaming bird is a storkling. Of course you know what that is. And the little white head is a mouseling. Isn't it a little darling? Alice picked them all up again very carefully, and I hope they weren't much hurt. Okay, I just spent an embarrassingly long time comparing that nursery Alice text to the illustration and trying to figure out who's who... So the mole is who I thought was a platypus with glasses. That's really my most glaring error. Um, I'm a little confused that he phrases it the rat, the ferret, the bantam cock, as if these are characters we have met before that we should be familiar with. We haven't. And of course, referring to illustrator John Tenniel by name is delightful, as is a storkling and mouseling. Like I said, the nursery Alice has grown on me over the years, so maybe we'll read it during a future episode a very special episode of Alice's Everywhere for the kiddies. I want to discuss one more illustration in the last chapter. The very last illustration in all of Alice's adventures in Wonderland is the very famous depiction of Alice being attacked by the playing cards, which are flying through the air. At the bottom of the picture, at Alice's feet, several critters in the courtroom are kind of scattering about. A white rabbit is there. He's on our right, about to bolt out of the frame, it looks like. Now... The white rabbit has been dressed like the courtroom herald throughout this chapter. But this rabbit is naked as the day he was born. I've always wondered about this. Is this a mistake? Is he a different white rabbit who happened to be present in the courtroom? I couldn't figure it out. But then I read a theory in More Annotated Alice, Martin Gardner's hotly anticipated sequel to The Annotated Alice, and it blew my mind. You'll recall that when the playing cards attack Alice, all of a sudden they are really leaves falling on her face and she wakes up and she realizes she's been dreaming. The theory is the white rabbit is naked just like any normal everyday member of the Lapora Day family because Alice is in the process of waking up. She's in a half dreaming, half waking state, thus the rabbit isn't closed because she's re-entering the real awake world. So cool. I think that theory is definitely onto something. You know, it would be even cooler though, if Alice was sitting on the bank with her sister and a white rabbit ran by. And then when she woke up, the same white rabbit was still running by. Like the adventures took no time at all. Like that very famous and also completely incorrect quote that I've seen 100,000 times on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest, where Alice asks, how long is forever? And the white rabbit says, sometimes just one second. Does anyone know the origin of that? Because it's certainly not from the Alice books. I've watched the 1951 Disney and 2010 Tim Burton Disney films within the last year, and I don't think it's from either of those either. Did one person alone in the room just make that up one day and place it on a pretty background and it proliferated all over the place? I have no idea. Now, I am going to, machine gun style, (laughs) list some things that I meant to tell you as we were reading Alice's Adventures in Wonderland chapter by chapter, but just plum forgot. For example, in chapter three, A Caucus Race and a Long Tail, when we were discussing the mouse's tail, I forgot to mention that another word for an emblematic poem, remember that's the type of poem that is arranged in the shape of its subject, that can also be called a technopenia. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's from our friends the Greeks, technopenia. Also in the third chapter, after I gave you that really long, boring description of the voting system that Lewis Carroll came up with in real life, I meant to ask, did that dry you off? Like the mouse asked when he told his dry, boring story. Just a little missed opportunity for some humor there. Another little detail that I probably should have mentioned way back in chapter one, when Alice takes her first sip out of the Drink Me bottle, throughout the book, whenever Alice grows or shrinks is signified by a little pattern of dots on the page or asterisks depending on which edition you're reading. Just kind of a clever, fun way to show that something magical is happening. Speaking of magical things happening, do you guys want to start looking glass? I think maybe we should start through the looking glass next week. Exciting! Exciting! Honestly, I don't possess quite the wealth of knowledge on Looking Glass as I do on Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. But in Looking Glass, the chapters are longer. So I'm sure I have enough additional minutia to fill our 20 minutes or so. I'm going to leave you today with a burning question from the nursery Alice, which I'd like you all to think long and hard about. Which would you have liked the best, do you think? To be a little tiny Alice, no larger than a kitten... Or a great tall Alice with your head always knocking against the ceiling. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Talk soon.